Yeah. Good morning, City Church. How are you this morning? Good. Did you notice how uh, Ben and I gave each other a little hug? Why do preachers do that? Why do preachers hug each other? It's the weirdest thing. I think we should just greet each other with a brotherly kiss. You know what I mean? That's what I should do, Ben. Should we rehearse that one more time? No? Brotherly kiss? No brotherly kiss? Well, anybody familiar with that Dave Crowder song, you know, where earth meets heaven like a sloppy wet kiss? Ben, I need a volunteer. Marchie, come up here right now. No, no, we're not going to do any of that stuff, but um, so great to be here, and it's, 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 it really is a real honor, and so thank you so much. It was 15 years ago, Ben, the last time I was here, and I don't even know what the church was called then. Was it called Blue Mountain City Church? Is that what it was called? It's much better, City Church. Don't you? It's much better, and, and, and so 15 years ago, I don't know what I said back then that took them 15 years to invite me back, but... Um, there you go. And so to all the men that were here on Thursday night, love you very much. I was jet lagged as all get out. I take no responsibility for what was said. And if God did anything, it's all him and not me. Trust me, it was, um, it was pretty, it was awesome. I had a great time. We had, what, I don't know, 50 men here. Just, it's always good when God's men gather together to be encouraged and to be uplifted and all that sort of thing. And so are you ready for the word this morning? We're going to get into that in just a minute, but what I wanted, I wanted to share this with the whole church as well, something that I felt very strongly when I was here Thursday night, and this is a Pentecostal church, right? Am I, am I in the right place? So we still believe in the power of the prophetic and, and all that sort of stuff. If you're new to faith in Jesus, the prophetic shouldn't be weird. It should be something that, 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 that we understand. It's essentially when God puts an impression on your heart in terms of what God may have for our future. And oftentimes we're a big part in the dynamic of making that happen. It's God's power, it's His provision, plus it's our availability. And I just, as I was speaking to the men, Pastor Ben was sitting right there, and I just felt this very strongly, that eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has it even entered into the hearts of men, the good things that God has prepared for those that love Him. And Ben, I just know that you and Amy have walked through seasons, and you've been faithful. And um, I, I think beyond that, the measure of your leadership to date right? It's, it far exceeds your age and experience. God has gifted you with wisdom and a gift of faith and a leadership ability that few your age and stage have. And so I know I'm not that much older than you. I'm, you know, I turned 40 in, uh, in July. So I know what you're thinking. Dang, that boy looks good for 40. And uh, although I've put, a little, I've put a little pouch on, you know what I mean? I've been murdering meat pies as soon as I got here. I'm just smashing meat pies, sausage rolls, chalky move. Oh, I love it, mate. I love it. I love it. But Ben, the best days, mate, are, um, are, are not ahead of you. They're, they're literally just around the corner. And I just sense and feel my spirit breakthrough is coming. And I want to remind you, Matthew chapter 25, where the Lord describes faithfulness as fruitfulness. The two are synonymous. Remember the parable of the talents? I think this is not just a word for you, but this is a word for us as a church this morning. And that is sometimes we think just because we're showing up, we're being faithful. And this is where the prophetic can be, you can say amen or ouch, whatever, whatever helps you, you know, kind of process this. But sometimes we think just showing up means we're being faithful. Or just coming ready to serve on a Sunday means we're being faithful. But in the economy of God, in the mind of Jesus, when he was teaching on this parable of the talents, he equates faithfulness with fruitfulness. There's an expectation or there's a return on investment that Jesus has when it comes to us. We don't work for salvation. We know that's a free gift, but we work from salvation. And like Tim said this morning, can I lovingly encourage you? Well, I'm going to unlovingly encourage you to, because <laughs> to, I, I go after this. I go home, Ben has to fix all the heresies that I bring and 
it's on him. But can I encourage you, this is a season for us as a church to dig in deep, deeper than we've ever dug in before. And for those that are sitting back on the fence thinking, man, I dug in once upon a time and didn't work out too well for me, I would encourage you to go again. Can you imagine if that little baby fell over one time after taking a step and never stood up again? I want to encourage you to stand up again. I want to encourage you to re-engage again. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to fire up again. Hashtag 1990s want their word back. <laughs> I, want to, I want to strenuously, if I can, encourage you to, to, to re-engage again. Don't bury the proverbial talent of your life in the ground. If you sit on what God has given you, the master will return and say, hey, hey, don't be a wicked and lazy servant. What did he say to the guy that had 10? To whom has much, more will be given. You want more in the kingdom of God? Start producing. And I want to encourage every single man, every single woman, every single young person to have a mind to work, a mind to produce, a mind to gather together as a community of faith with Jesus at the center, behind our fearless leader, if I can say that. I've been in America, so I'm going to say a few corny things. There's no doubt about it today. We can rally around this great man, this great woman. Man, it's amazing to see what God can do. And hopefully in another 15 years when you invite me back again. um, Who knows, Ben? We could be in different facilities. You never know. Multiple staff, multiple locations. I mean, I don't know. Only God knows and only you know what he's put in your heart of hearts. But I just want to say in front of everyone, I appreciate the fact that you have us here today. We are honored. And uh, we're honored to be uh, a part of this in a small way what we can contribute at this stage. I'm looking forward to what God has for the future. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Come on, let's pray and then we can sit down. Father, we thank you today. Lord, we give you praise for your word. It says of itself, it's like a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And Lord, I pray you'll illuminate our way forward. Lord, let us not just be hearers of the word today, but let's be doers of it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, you can take your seats. And as you are taking your seats, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to take a Luke there. You like that? Ben, there's a little prop I brought. It's right under your seat right there. Would you throw that to me? Hopefully I can catch left-handed. Come on. Oh, look at that. Left-handed catch. All right, look at this. This is a pineapple, everybody. Kind of looks like my hair in the 90s, let's be honest. Um, who, who knows this pineapple is, you know, it's a, it's a tasty summer treat. It's a delicious, sugary morsel. You can cook it, you can bake it, you can slice it, you can dice it, you can do whatever you want to. It's pretty common. You can pretty much find it in any green grocer. Although Ben went looking for one last night. I think he went to Woolies and Coles and he found one with the top chopped off. And I said, Ben, I'm sorry, that is just not going to work, right? I need one with the top secured and fastened to it. And so if you can find a top, glue it to one or just go and get one. Anyway, he got me one. But the purpose of this is I just want to give you a few pineapple facts this morning. Are you ready for some pineapple facts? Here we go. Pineapples have never been mentioned in the Bible ever. All right. So if you're looking for something spiritual from this, it's just simply not going to happen. Um, that, that there's, there's, there's only one vague mention in a random translation, but really what they're trying to translate is the word pomegranate. So that goes out the window. Did you know that it takes three years for a pineapple to grow from beginning to the end? Did you know that uh, for, for, for the most of the known world outside of South America, these were, were relatively unknown up until Christopher Columbus discovered the new world and ventured down through South America. These pineapples here are actually native to Brazil and Paraguay. And at one stage, this fruit right here was considered to be one of the most... Va- Is that a pineapple up there? Everybody turn around. There's a neon pineapple. 
in the south desert. Did you buy that too? Did you plan this? This guy is a real senior pastor, all right? I'm just a youth pastor with delusions of grandeur, but this guy is a real pastor, all right? Fantastic. I'm undone by the fact that there's a neon pineapple up there, but... Do you know, once upon a time, this was actually gifted to royalty and was valued pound for pound above gold, silver, and other precious gems. At one stage in history, this was the epitome. If you look on many of the sigils of many royal families, you will see a pineapple incorporated into the sigil of the houses. Why? Because it was known to be a gift that was given to royalty. Oftentimes, these went uneaten. It's a travesty. But they'll put them on the mantelpiece and just let them slowly droop. Has anybody ever seen a pineapple droop? Here's another fun fact about a pineapple. Did you know that a pineapple will never get more ripe than what it is right now? As soon as you cut it from its root, from its stem, from its tree bush, how do these things grow? I don't even know. They grow off the side of a tree. Nobody knows. The ground. There's a Hawaiian over there. Praise the Lord. And so it's never going to get more ripe than when you cut it off. It will only rot. But it's funny that this pineapple, once upon a time, deemed so valuable, so precious, and so sought after is now something that's incredibly common. Oh, bro, did I hurt you? Oh, man, you need to harden up, dude. Come on, just a pineapple. You need to catch that bad boy. Are you single? That's probably why. All right, moving on. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I can prophesy a wife if you like. Cost you a sweet 50 bucks, though. Anyway... Isn't it amazing that throw that pineapple back up here? I want to give you a second chance. You've got to redeem yourself. There you go. See, I caught it with one hand and I'm preaching at the same time. <laughs> it's amazing that this very common fruit was once upon a time deemed so valuable, so precious, and so sought after. And I honestly think sometimes that's how we can, if we allow our faith to become. Something so valuable, so precious, something that takes years to grow and develop into something that is sweet, that can feed people, that has a purpose on the earth, can sometimes just be treated as everyday, common, and normal. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, it's a high one. There you go. And really today, if you take your notes, all I want to talk to us about in the few short minutes that I have remaining today is how to avoid allowing our faith to delve into familiarity. I think so often we can allow our faith to just become a side project or a side hustle of our life as opposed to being the very center of who we are. Is that Megan over there? Hello, how are you? Haven't seen you for years. Isn't that awesome? You haven't changed. You're still young. Lovely. I look old and gray. My wife is tapping her leg telling me to hurry up. You're running out of time. So that's what I'm going to do. So this morning, if I can leave you with one thought, it's to, let's not allow our faith to become sidelined or familiar. Let's not get familiar with what God has done. Let's not get so familiar with the goodness of God in our life that we sideline God, that we compartmentalize God, that we bury God, or that we push Him to the periphery of our life. Let's be people here at City Church in the Blue Mountains that understand that Christ died for us 2,000 years ago on a cross. His arms spread left to right, nails in His hands and His feet. He bled and He shed blood 
blood so that our lives could be redeemed up from the pit, out of the grave, stood on a firm foundation, given a purpose, a destiny, and a call by God. Can I encourage you this morning that if you're here, you got breath in your lungs, God is still yet to do something incredible in your life. I've believed this for 20 years of ministry, and I'll believe it for the rest of my years of ministry. I've seen people come from the worst of situations, discover Jesus, and transform their life. For me, I was born in the western suburbs of Sydney. I was born in Campbelltown. Does it get any worse than that? You know exactly what I'm talking When I was born, they gave you a packet of Marlboro Reds, right? Put a flannelette shirt, pair of moccasins, issued a mullet, and you were set. You know what I mean? But it went from bad to worse. I moved from Campbelltown to Windsor. I have a tragic story of my family we don't have time to go into, but I saw God do a redeeming work in my family and I'm doing what I'm doing today and I'm enjoying the wonderful family that God has given me and the opportunities that he's given me all because of the grace of God. And I want to encourage you today what God has done in my life, what he's done in Pastor Ben's life, what he's done in so many people's lives here this morning, he can do in yours also. But the magnitude of what God can do, I think, is in direct proportion to the way in which we view what God can do in our lives. If you have your Bibles this morning, open them up to Luke chapter 1. We're going to do a bit of reading there for a minute. And many of you would know this story. It's a very popular, very famous story. It's the story of the prodigal son. Or if we could rephrase it this morning, it would be the parable of the familiar sons. It says in verse 11, And he said, Jesus speaking, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that's coming to me. In other words, he said, Dad... Give me my inheritance. In other words, Dad, I wish you'd already died so I could profit from your existence. It's essentially what he's saying, right? It says, and he divided the property between them. And many days later, the youngest son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a faraway land where he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he'd spent everything, a severe famine had come across the country and 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 he began to be in great need. It says, so he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. Many of you know the rest of the story. He's feeding pigs. He's slopping out the feed. And then he has this epiphany. He has this God moment. He has this thought. He has this light bulb idea. He says, hey, how many of my father's servants have a roof over their head, have clothes on their back, and have food in their belly? And he says to himself, I'm going to go back to dad's house. When I get to dad's house, I'm going to get down on my knees. I'm going to grovel. I'm going to say, dad, how many of your hired servants have this, that, and the other? Can I be like one of your hired servants? Can I beg my way back into your good graces? And of course, many of you know the story. The Bible says while he was still afar off, the father was looking for him. Great picture of God and how he's waiting for us to come to our senses oftentimes. Have you noticed that? God will let us go to the end of our degree or he'll allow us to get to the bottom of our proverbial barrel before we wake up to ourselves and come home and there's this beautiful picture of, of, of the father waiting almost like at the edge of the farm gate. And as soon as he sees his son, he kind of lifts up his tassels. The Hebrew word for that is seat, seat, which means the, the corners of his robe. Old men in those days never ran. They always walked. It was very undignified for a man to run. Yet he hiked up his skirt, so to speak, and he ran towards his son. And he lavished, the Bible says, love on his wayward son. Kissed him on the neck, said, put a robe on his back, ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. My son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. And this is where the story gets interesting. It says, now the oldest son was in the field. And he came and he drew near to the house and he heard the music and he heard the dancing. And he called the servants and asked, what things are these and what do they mean? And, and, and so he said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe 
and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father even came out and entreated him. In other words, begged him to come in. But he answered, Father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed you. I've, I've, I've done all of your commands. And you've never given me but one young goat. Anybody like goat here? No, let's substitute that for lamb. Can I get an amen? amen. There's nothing better than Aussie lamb. Killed the fatted lamb. And this is where the story gets even better. The, the, the older son says, and, and, and you're throwing a party for this young son of yours, not brother of mine, but this young son of yours who's wasted everything on wine and prostitutes. Verse 31 says, and he said to him, son, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. It's fitting for us to celebrate today for your brother who was dead is now alive. And in this story of the over familiar sons, we have two very stark differences. We have two ends of the familiar spectrum. And if we're to avoid becoming familiar in our own faith as well, I think, I, I think we need to take a leaf out of these guys' book. See, the young son was a punk. Am I right? He was, he was like, Dad... I see the Bentley in the garage. I, I, I see the house. I see everything that you have. And I want that myself. See, the young son got so familiar with the blessing that he had around him. The young son got so familiar with the provision that his father had for him. He got so used to the ease of life and the flow of life and all that he had around him. The spare time on his hands, the opportunities in the community. He had everything going for him that he mistook the anointing that was on his father's house for the anointing that was on his own life. In other words, he got so familiar with everything he had at his arm's reach that he forgot, in fact, where it came from. And I don't know about you, but I can be like that sometimes. When I look at my heart of hearts, I can go, well, look at this house. And we, we, we moved to America where everything costs nothing. Sydney right now, you can't even buy a back shed for under half a million dollars. Can I get an amen? That's not really anything to amen about, but... When we moved to the United States, we bought this beautiful 3,000 square foot home. You're going to hate me to death after this. On an acre in a beautiful subdivision. Cost us $200,000. <gasps> now, it'll always be worth $200,000, but that remains. So I can get sometimes so familiar with my house. I walk in and once upon a time, I was kind of bright eyed. I was like, wow, I can't believe I get to live here. Now, five years on, I'm like, oh, this sucks, that sucks, I hate that, can we change that, let's replace this, we need a bigger house. Our house is so big that I get lost in my own house. And it's a wonderful blessing that God has given us, but if I'm not careful, I can get so familiar, I get so used to what God has blessed me with that I forget the gratefulness, that appreciation... That those qualities are something that God would want me to have. We can sometimes get so tangled in what we don't have that we completely miss what we do have. And I wonder how familiar we've gotten with things like our time. Knowing that time is a gift. 
for the person with the terminal diagnosis, time is a gift. We get to live in health and prosperity and we can get so familiar with the, with the tangible things we've got. We think, man, I wish I had a better car or man, I had a, wish I had a better house, but what you've got right now, somebody else is praying for. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we can so easily take our eyes off what God is doing in our lives and put our eyes on things that are temporal and things that are earthly. If we're young, we can think, man, I've got so much time and we waste this finite resource. Some of us, as we get older, we think, I need to, I, I need to self-care a little bit more. I need to spend more time on myself. So we shrink back from some of the things that we did early on in our faith. Talked a little bit about the law of first mentions last night. We can take for granted the fact that most of us go to sleep at night with a, with, 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 with a cell phone by our bed. And instead of reaching over first thing in the morning and opening up the Bible app, come on, somebody, we open up Instagram and see what everybody else is doing with their time. Instead of rolling over and kissing our spouse, we check our schedule for the day. We can take things so for granted that we allow our lives to sink into familiarity and nothing causes us to, 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 to operate from a place of wonder and gratefulness anymore. We've got to be people that understand that familiarity will breed contempt and it will diminish the quality of your life. Familiarity with the things that you have will cause you to keep comparing to what somebody else has and keep you in this perpetual cycle of discontentment. The Bible says that, 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 that godliness and contentment are great gain. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Familiarity always finds folly. The younger son was so familiar with everything that he had that he thought, you know, my, my only way to experience everything in this life is to go off and do it my own way. Sometimes we can be like that with God. He's given us everything. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven and is given to us to enjoy. Sometimes we depart from the pleasures of God for the pleasures of this world. And all it does is it leaves us wanting. You say amen to that? Yeah. Familiarity will always, always, always find folly. Second thing, familiarity forgets favor. Do you notice the older son? Do you remember what the older son said in verse 25 and verse 31? He goes, hey, dad, I've been with you this whole time. And you've never given me anything. You've not even given me one party. Never had one goat. Never had a lamb chop given to me. And you get this son that's, that's, that's at the opposite end of the spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you've got one son who's, who's, who's gone out and ruined himself and wrecked himself with rebellious and reckless living. He's done everything that he knows not to do, right? And then you've got this other son over here. This guy's very, very bad. This guy's very, very good. He's gotten so familiar with God that he's allowed his relationship toward his father to be purely transactional. Tell you what he's done. He's gone, Dad, I've done this, I've done that, I've done the other. I don't know about you, but we either, as Christians, we either kind of fit somewhere on that continuum. Have you noticed that? We've come to Jesus, but, our, but, but the desires and the proclivities of our life, the flesh, if you will, wants to take over. And for some of us, it drags us down this, it drags us back into our old life, our old habits, our old, uh, our, our old vices. But for others, maybe been in the faith a little bit longer, familiarity with God, familiarity with the presence of God, drives us more to this end of the scale. Well, I'll go to church three times, not twice. I'll just give that a little bit more. Come on. I'll serve on roster just a little bit more. And instead of going this way and, and, and kind of devolving into a lifestyle of things that aren't helpful, we gravitate towards being very, very, very good Christians. We don't swear. We don't cuss. That's an American word if it's wearing. 
We don't drink or chew. We'll date women that do, you know what I mean? (laughs) Some of us, we just get better at pretending to be Christians. See, familiarity with what God has done at a very basic level of our lives, salvation, relationship, justification by faith can easily ebb and flow over into just ticking all the boxes of some moralistic expectation. It's not as obvious and it's not as prevalent here in Australia because we're pretty relaxed. We're pretty much, she'll be right, we're pretty uncouth. We generally speaking as a bunch of convicts gravitate more towards this end of the spectrum, (laughs) right? But in America, everyone's over here trying to put on a brave face and be Captain Christian on Sunday. But then on Monday, their life doesn't represent anything of the knowledge of God. It's when we take something that's so valuable and precious and just treat it as common that familiarity creeps in and we default to either or. The great reformer Martin Luther said this, the default of the human heart is religion. And if you're here today in church just because you've got nothing better to do or you're here out of some sense of obligation, you haven't made a bad choice, it's just not the best choice. It's always good to be in the house of God. But if you think I'm going to go to church, I'm going to give my money, I'm going to serve on team and somehow by some measure, God will see me and be pleased with me and bless me and and help me, then friend, you've misunderstood the whole idea of the gospel of grace. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say to redo God's grace or to undo God's grace. I want to encourage you this morning. God is for you. He's not against you. He loves you. He's pursuing you, but he wants a sincere, authentic relationship with you. See, the problem with these two sons is they were both familiar. They both wanted what the father had to offer, but neither one of them wanted the father himself. Familiarity will always drive you to either end of the spectrum. It will drive you away from God or it will drive you into a performance-based religion that has no authenticity and no reality and therefore no power to affect change in your life or anybody else's. Is this helping anybody this morning? Do you see the word? Good, I've got nine minutes and I'm going to wrap up and uh, Ben can fix the rest. Is that good? (laughs) Third and final thing this morning is that familiarity always fakes faith. Familiarity always kind of says, well, I've done enough, haven't I, Dad? I've been here this whole time. I've, I've, I've never put a foot wrong. I've ticked the boxes that I'm supposed to tick. You hear it in the son's language. His heart is divorced from the purposes of God. He doesn't care that once upon a time his brother was lost as a ball in high weeds. You like that? Very Australian. He paid no mind or had no concern for the plight of his lost brother. And I would encourage us this morning, if we've lost a heart to see lost people return to God, then our faith, unfortunately, has devolved towards just faking it. And I honestly believe God's, not, God's, not, God's got love, He's got compassion, He's got kindness for those who are just going through the motions, but His sincere heart for those who are going through the motions is that they'll jump right in, is that they'll leave familiarity behind, that they'll renew, like David said, Lord, renew in me a 
steadfast heart. Give me a new heart. Clean my heart. There's a biblical word for it. It's called repentance. We don't teach on repentance much, do we, Ben, these days? We kind of teach a lot on grace and a lot on blessing and a lot on the mercy of God. But you know the key to all those things? Is living a repentant, contrite heart. Living humbly before God. With no expectation of anything more than what He's already done for us. And out of that, when we can accept fully what God has done for us and not be familiar and not allow our lives to deviate towards two ends of those polarized spectral places, but to allow our hearts to be engaged with God and not living a pretend fake faith, but to live with sincerity and authenticity daily and to walk out daily what Jesus has done for us. You know, the saddest thing about this story, the saddest thing about this whole story is not, is not at all the fact that there was division and there was confusion and there was familiarity. The saddest thing about this is, is that we don't actually find out what happened to the older son. Have you noticed that? The story kind of stops. It kind of halts right there. And in the biblical narrative, when Jesus is telling this story, you have to understand that Jesus is probably surrounded by 30, 40 people from different walks of life. Some of them were doing Pharisees, teachers of the law, people like that. And, and as Jesus is telling this, the, the shock and the horror of what Jesus was talking about for the first century Jewish person, for, 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 for this young boy, this, this young guy, the, the wayward kid, to take his share of the inheritance early and then blow it and then actually be accepted back was like, boom, mind-blowing for the hearers of the day. But what was even more mind-blowing for the hearers of the day was the fact that Jesus didn't round out this story. He didn't close it off. He didn't put a bow on top of it. He didn't slide it over. He, he didn't clean up the story. He left it with an open-ended outcome. There was there was confusion there. The, 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 the Bible says that the father went out and entreated the older son and said, Son, just come in. Just, just come in. Just, 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 let's lay our familiarity aside. Let's get back to, the, to, to, to basics. Let's get back to doing what we're called to do. We're a family of faith, surrounded by everything that I have. Let's forgive and let's forget, but let's move on. And so you can imagine the crowd at the time would have been completely put out by the fact that this older son, he was the righteous one. He was the good son. He shouldn't have had part of his inheritance divided with this older, younger, sorry, reckless son. And so as they're hearing this story, and as Jesus is communicating, you can imagine the tension and the anger and the, and the strife in the air would have been palpable. You would have been able to feel the atmosphere as the anger in these people were arising. The fact that this older son was never vindicated, was never given any uh, part of the celebration, never actually went into the father's house, would have been something that the original hearers would have been confounded by. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus left the story like that as if to send a message to you and I today. That if we're not careful, we can allow familiarity not just to mess with our lives and to give us cause to repent and to humble ourselves and come home, but familiarity can also drive us to a place where we completely forget the goodness of God, that we start relying on our own wherewithal and our own ability. And as this story, this is the text suggesting this, not me. The text is suggesting that this older son never again walked into the father's house. 
In other words, we can allow familiarity to take such a grip on our life that we can deviate so far from a God center that we could even lose our salvation. Now, theologically speaking, if you're a once saved, always saved type of person, then that's okay. We can agree to disagree. But the text very strongly suggests that through our stubbornness and through our familiarity, through our treating of something that is incredibly precious, incredibly valuable, when we just treat it as common or normal, can cause us to take incremental steps away from God. My friend Megan, who was sitting right there, we used to work together at a place called Life Adventure Site. From time to time, it was an outdoor rec site. She's one of those crazy hippies that climbs up trees, you know what I mean? <laughs> She's a lovely one too. We used to do this thing called orienteering. You know orienteering? Get a compass and you, you know. The reality is if you stay true north, you, you, you're going to get to the point where you need to be. But if you can be off a few degrees, may not seem much at the beginning, but by the end, you're miles from where you're supposed to be. Familiarity is like that. We just move a few degrees away in the way we treat our faith, the way we approach our God, the way we serve our leaders, the way we look at our church, the way we view the future of this church, the way we perceive the past of this church. If we're not careful, we can move ourselves degrees away and it doesn't look like much now, but in a year or two, where we used to be at church every Sunday with hearts filled with faith and expectation of what God can do, we're sitting at the back. No offense to anybody sitting at the back. We love you. We just know you want to get out quick. <laughs> just a few degrees. Just a few mornings we forget to open. just a couple of weeks we stay away from church or you know church is not going to save you but I heard a Christian say to me once you don't have to go to church to be a Christian I said yeah but it'll help keep you one <laughs> it's true God designed us to do this life together let's not get too familiar with what God has done up until this point see people that get familiar with what God has done to this point miss out on what he wants to do in the future Maybe people who are disgruntled here this morning, you're disgruntled at something that happened in the past. Don't allow that disgruntledness, don't allow that offense, don't allow that hurt to taint and to flavor and to color what God wants to do in and through your life, through your family, through your business. I never want my kids to be tainted by my heart and attitude towards church. I always want my kids to grow up to love the church and to love God with all their heart. Is church perfect? No. Are pastors perfect? Heck no. There's an underbelly to every organization. There is. It's a political side to everything. Come on, man. We live in Australia where we've had how many? 15 prime ministers in the last 10 minutes? <laughs> man, those gangsters need to get it together. Stabbing each other in the back, bop, 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 Bankstown style, you know what I mean? It's just it's a mess. Church is the same though. People out there on the fringes, pop, pop, pop. Ben, he's young. Ben, he's too good looking. He'll never be humble. <laughs> How do you get a wife like that? He must be rich. You know? <laughs> no. Hey, you want a good looking wife, fellas? 
Man, honor the Lord. There's nothing sexier than the anointing. Can I get an amen? That's why I married that plus 10 right there. Come on. Plus 10, is that weird? That's, it's just a 10. It's a straight 10. Say plus 10. It's like a dress size. I'm... I see you, girl. I see you. I see you there. That's really all I've got to say. And if I keep going longer, I'll, I'll go over time. But Can we just do this? Can I pray for you this morning? Is that okay? You believe in the power of prayer? All right. Well, let's do something a little religious. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Don't worry, I'm not going to steal your wallet. <laughs> you know, as every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Maybe there's people in here this morning and you've deviated, you've delved into treating your faith in Jesus, your relationship with God, with familiarity. Something that was once precious and valuable to you has become common. I'm not here to put any condemnation on anybody. I'm just here to challenge us to step up and maybe take another look at what God has given to us and what he has done in our lives. If that's you, you say, God, I need to get back to where I once was. I need to reconnect with you. I need to, I need to ask your forgiveness that I've treated something so wonderful, so powerful, so beautiful with such familiarity and contempt. I want to, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Give me a fresh start. Open my eyes to see what you've done and what you're going to do. If that's you this morning, I want to say, no shame on you. In fact, shame off you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All God needs is one lean towards him. Like the thief on the cross said, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. All you've got to do this morning Come on, just lift your hand. Long enough, high enough for me to see it. I want to pray with you and for you today. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, there's hands going up. If you, if you say, I'm, Adam, I'm, I'm over familiar with God. I want, a, I want a fresh, clean start. I want a new perspective. I want to delve in again. I want to not treat what's precious as common. If that's you, come on, lift your hand. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you today for those people that lifted their hand. I thank you for their honesty, God. Lord, I thank you for their vulnerability and their faith. And today I pray will be a a life-changing moment in their life. Lord, I pray as they put aside things of old and embrace what you have for their future. Lord, I pray that as they lay aside familiarity and they get back to the basics, as they get back to who you are and what you've called them to do and what you have for their future. Lord, I pray a renewed sense of zeal and a fresh fire will live within them, Father. It will be like passion burning, like fire in their bones. Lord, today I pray for those that lifted their hand. Lord, I pray that you would restore unto them, Lord, a fresh, clean, new take perspective on who you are and what you've called them to do. I pray you bless them today and that they'll leave this place changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, look up at me, church. God bless you. Thank you for having me this morning. Did you receive the word? Awesome. Great, great things in store for this church and it was a real honor to be here with you today and um, God bless you. I'll see you in 15 years. Peace out. (laughs) 